is the Chicago Sports Power Hour, presented by ShyCitySports.com, the number one source for all Chicago sports found in one place. Welcome to another edition of the Chicago Sports Power Hour, presented by ShyCitySports.com. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Pearson. You can find me on Twitter at, at Z-A-C-K underscore Pearson. I'll dish it off to uh, my two co-hosts. I'm Nick Fish, and you can find me on Twitter at NWFISCH. My name is Joey Minutillo, and you can find me on Twitter at NAME in all caps. So this week uh, we're going to be talking about the Chicago Bears and their recent uh, draft selections just about a couple days ago. And we're also going to discuss the first uh, month of MLB season regarding the Cubs and White Sox. And we have a special news segment for you uh, that Joey's going to take care of. But like we start off every show, we're going to do our opening segment, Shoot Your Shoot Shot. Shoot um, it! Each one of us take a shot at something, good or bad. I'll kick it off first. Mine is at um, recently released safety, Antrell Rowe, who the Bears cut, uh, I believe it was Sunday, and he went to the New York Post and discussed the Bears. He blamed his injuries on the Bears, not, not Soldier Field, but blamed his injuries on the Hallis Hall playing surface. And I don't know, I just think that was kind of just a bad excuse. He didn't play well. Um, led the team in hugs, as Fish would like to say. But uh, good riddance, central role. Yeah, it was just one of those signs. I'll th- I guess I'll pl- play the rebound off that shot. Just one of those signs I never really thought made sense. I mean, sure, he provided veteran leadership. But when I saw him hugging Larry Fitzgerald while the Bears were losing by 20 points, I kind of figured that wasn't the type of leadership I wanted on the team. So good riddance. Hopefully he can get hurt and suck somewhere else. Yeah, I guess mine's a little bit more positive than that. Um, I guess this kind of springboards into our content for tonight. Just um, just the overall NFL draft. Um, it was arguably the most entertaining and intriguing draft. A lot of that had to do with Laramie Tunsil and his insane completely unprecedented drama that followed him around um you know for something that probably doesn't need to be three days you know i i did find myself watching a majority of the draft um i mean it was entertaining um and man espn get lewis riddick on more that guy actually is fairly insightful um you know good questions good commentary and doesn't do the yeah i like player x because he's a he's a go-getter like john gruden so um you know Nice seeing the NFL draft in Chicago, and hopefully it uh, continues there because it's definitely great for the city. Yeah, I mean, that was a great couple days. Very entertaining. Let's uh, just kick it off with our draft talk right away. Um, so what did you guys think of the Bears' selections overall? I mean, I thought they were pretty good for the most part. Obviously, Leonard Floyd generated a lot of discussion in terms of whether or not it was worth it to trade up. I mean, for fourth-round pick, I wasn't too upset with the Bears giving that up to move up two spots to get a guy they wanted. Sure, they might people might say he's raw or whatever, but I mean, if the Bears keep Vic Fangio and the competent coaching staff on the defensive side, I see no reason why that pick won't work out. And really, they entered the pick with nine drafts. They ended up making nine selections. So hopefully, we at, the Bears can have three, three to five make significant contributions this year and keep getting younger and better at all positions. Yeah, I think one of the real important things, um, you know, usually in the draft, it really, you know, the way way a franchise approaches it really is 
is directly correlated to where they are as far as contending. Um, I mean, I think we're all kind of optimistic on where the Bears may finish um, during the 2016 season. Uh, but my big thing that I, I really admired about the draft is, is the fact that they're going after guys. Um, I mean, right off the rip, I look at, you know, four to five guys I feel like could really make contributions this season. Um, you know, starting with Leonard Floyd, obviously trading up to get a guy uh, that fills the biggest need on the team. Um, and then with the Bears cutting Matt Slauson um, just a day or so after drafting Cody Whitehair and all that crazy movement they did in the second round, um, you know, John Bullard, uh, defensive end out of Florida, Nick Wyatkowski out of West Virginia. I mean, all these guys you figure have, have a chance to really contribute uh, as rookies, maybe if they're not starters, but still the fact that they'll probably get their get their feet wet. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys you really look to that well-rounded skill sets that I think are going to add a lot of depth, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, at first when they made the trade to grab Floyd, um, I was curious if they were actually going to go the Tunsil route or something like Vernon Hargraves or even Shaq Lawson. Um, I was a little upset, as you guys know in their chat, at the start, um, then I kind of read more into it the next day, and the Giants were reportedly going to take going to take uh, Floyd if the Bears didn't make that trade. So I understand why they made the trade. Uh, like Fish said, they ended up picking what nine guys. They had nine picks um, overall. I like the draft. Um, I guess we'll just wait and see the Floyd how that plays out. Um, but yeah, at first I was really confused. I, I wouldn't have if they would have gone Hargraves or Tunsil. I wouldn't have minded that either. But I look at that and I'm. And I think, you know, why did the Giants take Eli Apple after that? I know they wanted Floyd, but I mean, there was a couple other cornerbacks I thought that were better on their draft board, or at least my draft board, than Eli Apple. Well, the thing that really shocked me about day two after the draft was the Bears traded down not once, but twice. I really thought they were going to settle on a quarterback at some point, but obviously they didn't, which is why I thought signing Brian Hoyer was just really the best move of the weekend overall for in terms of right now because let's face it Jay Cutler always seems to get nicked up at one point in the year or another and having a guy that can actually go out and throw the football complete passes move move the offense and win games is so important to have so the Bears making that move immediately after not getting a developmental quarterback for 2016, I thought was really the best move of the weekend overall. Well, I think when fans see that they signed Brian Hoyer right away, they want to react negatively because Hoyer did throw four interceptions in the uh, AFC divisional round or wild card round last year. But a lot of people forget he wasn't terrible as what two years with the Browns. I mean, he was a pretty serviceable quarterback. And I'm, I'm going to say this: going into this year, if Jay Cutler does get hurt at any point or has to miss a game, I feel a hell of a lot better with Brian Hoyer than I do Jimmy Clausen, Matt Blanchard, David Fales. So I, I love that move. I'm right there with you. That was probably one of the best moves of the weekend for the Bears. Well, as far as just an insurance policy, I mean, knowing that the Bears had some had some injury concerns last year, um, I, I mean, fans booing signing Brian Hoyer is, is, is pointless. I mean, you're, you're signing a guy, obviously not, not with the intention of having him compete against Jay Cutler or to start football games. You know, there's a lot of teams in the NFL that wish they had a backup as capable as Brian Horn. And again, I don't think any of us are calling him a pro bowler or or really a, a league starter, but a guy that, you know, in a pinch, if Cutler goes down for a series or, or you need, 
to kind of tread water in a game if if he's out for a game. You know, you could do a lot worse than Brian Hoyer, um, especially, again, when you consider what the Bears really did uh, defensively in this draft and they were really stockpiling guys on all three levels of the defense, um, not not using, you know, maybe one of their fourth-round picks on a quarterback or maybe one of the third-day picks. Um, it makes sense. It's a one-year pact, and I, I think, you know, going forward, at least the Bears know that that's, that's not an area of concern going into training camp. And, again, they can concentrate a lot more on rounding out this defense and, and adding some new starters. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think the Bears did address what they had to. The Floyd pick really um, uh, filled a need. The white hair pick filled a need. Um, I, I, I like the second day, the Friday draft. Um, I think they got a good player in white hair, and I think they got a really good player in Jonathan Bullard. Um, I've seen a lot around the web that he might be the steal of the draft. 17 tackles for a loss uh, for Florida last season. Uh, just, you know, another depth guy, too. And I, overall, I really like what they did, and I, I'm, I'm pretty excited for the uh, you know upcoming season, even though we have a long way to go still. Well, again, when you're the the thing that's obvious here is the youth movement, uh, especially when you get rid of Roll and Slauson. Um, it, it's showing the Bears' dedication and their plan at, at attacking uh, teams with with just adding adding depth all over. And it, the competition is going to be good. I mean, you're adding guys again at all three levels that that could figure to be uh, in the mix for playing time, and that's never a bad thing, especially with a team trying to figure things out and really iron out an identity. Uh, when you're going into the second year with a defensive coordinator and a coach who's very defensive minded, I mean, you got to get you have to get guys that fit this philosophy. You have to get guys that are that are willing to go in there and, and know, hey, you you might just be playing third down. Hey, you might just be getting a handful of snaps a game, but when you're called upon, you you really have to go out there um, and contribute. I mean, to me, what I like is, you know, again, the fact that I really feel like several of these guys could make make contributions as rookies and start as rookies. I mean, Cody Whitehair in particular uh, is a guy that uh, a lot of people forget, you know, oh, man, you wasted a second-round pick on a guard. You could find a guard in later rounds, which is very true. Uh, but knowing that that this team is transitioning from an, you know, a pro Bowl caliber running back um, in Matt Forte to a handful of unknowns, adding a guy that you figure to be a plug-and-play starter – uh, that started 51 out of 52 games at Kansas State, um, has good size, and is a guy that that you figure could rotate one of the inside guard positions or even at center, uh, knowing uh, that Ronas Grasso uh, suffered and struggled with injuries basically all of last season during his rookie year. I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Um, I do think that the whole point, you know, I don't understand why you would you would move around so much in the second round, pick a guard, and then cut Slauson. I mean, to me, it would make more sense cutting Slauson before this. I mean, I don't know if maybe you were trying to not telegraph something for a potential trade, but you know, at the end of it, I, I really like the, I really like that move with the Bears adding another interior lineman. Well, I think yeah. The, all right, go ahead, Fish. Yeah, the Slauson move was the one move this weekend that I was just really confused by, because as you alluded to, Joey, I mean, you could have at least traded him for a sixth round pick or a seventh-round pick, you could have gotten something out of him, something for him. I mean, when you talk about building the football team and doing things the right way and working hard, by all accounts, Matt Slauson was an excellent leader in the locker room. Players respected him. He really set the tone. He's really an old-school Chicago Bear, if you will. So getting rid of him, I just didn't really understand what the point of it was. Again, I guess they're getting younger at the offensive line. 
you know, last year, I think it was Bears backer on Twitter who mentioned last year the average age on the offensive line was 29. Now, with the projected lineup of Leno, um, Whitehair, and Grassu, and Kyle Long, and Bobby Massey, it's 24 years old. So the Bears' average line got five years younger over the past weekend. See, I, I agree with you, and I understand what you guys are saying. Um, I think Slauson's fate was determined right away, right when they picked Whitehair. Um, there was a report that they were trying to shop a couple, uh, a couple of veterans, but um, maybe Slauson might have been one. Maybe they couldn't get anything for him. But I mean, I, I understand the move. Like I mean, like you guys said, Slauson was a key veteran last year. I mean, he filled in for center. I think a game or two when um, a game or two, and then Grisou took over. But I mean, I understand. I like they're getting younger, um, cutting a couple of veterans and getting that age lower. Uh, we'll see how it works. Um, but uh, speaking of another veteran, so Lamar Houston did it again yesterday. Did you guys, any of you guys, watch this or hear this? I read about it. Yes. Did you read about it on TriCitySports.com? Yep. Oh wow. Um, all right. Yeah. So last year, if you guys remember. Um, Lamar Houston said, I could, I give two flying you-know-whats about him. I really don't like that guy. And he was speaking on uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. And then linebacker Pernell McPhee spoke after the game. I forgot what he said exactly, but after the Thanksgiving game. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, Houston doubled down on his comments. He uh, went on Sports Nation and, you know, kind of said some more, saying how he thinks uh, Rodgers is too arrogant and uh, I think it's pretty spot on the whole championship belt thing. Um, I can understand Houston's point, or yeah, Houston's point. The extra R in his first name is for right. I mean, when you're a football player and you're seeing a guy have so much success and openly brag about it, it always feels good to knock him down a peg or two. So certainly, I hope the Bears can beat the Packers both times this year. It was nice for the Bears to win one game this past season. Hopefully they can win both this year against Green Bay, and really it's nice to see the Bears actually not like the Packers anymore. It's one of those things I think is a culture thing. For a while, the Bears wanted to be nice and friendly and cuddly and soft. and Really, I think you have to go and win a football game. You can respect your opponent. You can talk to them after the game or whatever, but you have to, go with, you have to prepare and have the mindset during that week and during that game that you have to do whatever it takes to win that game. And it's nice to see the Bears are starting to get that back, and I give Coach Fox a lot of credit for establishing that culture there. I do want to play devil's advocate. I agree with both of you, but Lamar Houston is the same guy that blew his knee out (laughs) celebrating a sack after the Bears were down, what, 21 points in a game. So, you know, I kind of take these comments with a grain of salt. But it is nice for for a for a bear to go into the media and kind of you know proclaim, hey, we hate this team, we don't like their leader, um, we we take his arrogance you know personally, which I mean you should. This your your job is to beat that that particular team twice a year. I've always said this and I've maintained this you know since I can remember. The Bears win two games during a season. I hope both of them are against Green Bay. They go two and fourteen. If they went 2-0 against the Packers, that's fine. Um, you just hope that, again, with the addition of these new guys, that maybe this defense can regain some of its mean streak. Uh, you know, the monsters of the midway, if you will. Obviously, maybe not to the same level, but but at least be competitive enough, uh, knowing with how, how 
bad the defense has been the last two years. Um, it'll be nice, especially that you hope that this defense will be able to help them, you know, stay in games and, and be more competitive during the season. Oh, I, I love it. I love the comments. Um, I think that there should be some hostility towards the Green Bay Packers. I mean, they, 2014, they they wiped the they they wiped the floor with the Bears. They smoked them at Lambeau. They, well, I think they had a huge second half against them at Soldier Field. Uh, I, I like it. I like guys calling them out. You don't like Aaron Rodgers, call him out. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is a hell of a player. If you don't like him, call him out. Bring some pride back to the Bears and Packers rivalry. I love it. I mean, they have, uh, I forgot who it is that's on the Pack or former Packers player. Maybe it's TJ Lang. I don't, he, he's always on Twitter bashing Chicago and all that crap. I like it. You, someone else step up, say something. You know, it's, it's nice to see that the rivalry is kind of getting, you know, fired up a little bit. Obviously, the Packers have pretty much owned it since uh, 2010. I believe they're like 10-3 and three or something in that span and have a, um, a Super Bowl and beat the Bears in, the, in their only playoff meeting. Um, I'd like to see the rivalry, you know, kind of build up a little more. Obviously, the Bears have to get better and contend in the NFC North because the Packers, outside of last season, have pretty much owned that division since 2010. But I'm, I'm all for it. More. Someone else, someone from the Packers, respond, please. I don't think they will. You know, they'll try to sweep the whole, oh, we're going to we're gonna take the high road and just prove it on the field. No, I mean, you know, that's what the offseason's for, is to hype your fan base up, hype the city up, and, and get them excited for the upcoming season. You know, there's a lot of reason for optimism uh, with the Bears. And, I, and again, I still think it's funny that Lamar Houston's the guy that came out, considering, again, he blew his knee out uh, celebrating a sack. Um, but... You know, for for a team that fans want to take that one step in the right direction uh, towards you know 500 record and competing for a division championship, I mean that's the way to do it. That's the way to get your teammates excited. That's the way to get your you know your fan base excited and re re-energized. And you know, I mean, it doesn't hurt. You didn't say anything offensive. You didn't call his mom or his wife out or anything. So it's it, to me, it's it's harmless fun. Might as well. I mean, it could be a lot worse. He could you know, just go at it. There's nothing else going on right now. We're not in OTAs or anything yet. So who cares? Got to talk about something. He could be Greg Hardy, you know, and after an interview or after being reinstated, talk about Tom Brady's wife and how he hopes his wife and uh, sister come to the game. Uh, Fish, you have any thoughts on that? No, I'm just kind of ready for training camp to roll around and these OTAs to get started. I know there was something interesting happening in the Dolphins rookie mini camps this past this coming weekend. Adam Gase isn't going to have this players practice on the field. He's just going to have them in the classroom studying the playbook, kind of preparing them for life in the NFL and all and all of these things. I just thought it was a very interesting out-of-the-box approach, especially considering these players have been training since basically November, December, January to get ready for April and May. Now they won't even have to practice until really the OTAs start. Uh, wait, are the Dolphins doing that too? I isn't the, ja yeah, the Jaguars? The Jaguars? I know. I just read the Dolphins. Oh, uh, I think the Jaguar. I thought I saw something today that the uh, that the Jacksonville Jaguars aren't going to practice. They're just going to have like film session too. Um, because I thought I saw because of remember Fowler's injury last uh, what last year? It's the first day, first time he stepped on the field. It was he tore his ACL. Yeah. Jaguars rookies won't be doing much on the field in minicamp. I mean, I wonder if a lot of teams will uh, actually kind of go that route, especially after the, you know the injury last year to Fowler. 
Was there? Yeah, well, Kevin White got hurt too. So I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see if more teams go that route and kind of keep them in the classroom or just do some light drills when the rookie minicamp starts. Well, I think the interesting thing is too, you know, when you have 20 rookies, you know, and, you know, assuming at least five to seven, maybe 10 of them will end up being cut. Are these rookies going to go around and say what the Dolphins are doing? Or, you, you know, I mean, I guess it's just kind of an interesting aspect. We'll have to see if they, if the Dolphins keep doing something like that, how that'll play out. Yeah, so, all right, I'm going to go back to the draft really quick. Um, are you guys a big fan of draft grades? Not after, not until three years after. So, you know, I mean... Uh, I mean- you, you take them with a grain of salt because it depends on how you assess the draft. Are you looking at a draft grade based on filling needs or finding value or just the names involved, like how much risk was – I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you can approach grading a draft. Like Fish said, I mean, a draft could look great right now and after the season, you know, like for the Bears last year, last year's draft grade is an incomplete because Kevin White didn't play and you drafted him 7-0 overall. So – you know, I, really, realistically, especially if you draft a bunch of people that aren't going to contribute right away, you have to wait a couple of years. But again, with going back to my point earlier, I think with how the Bears address this draft uh, going so heavy on defense, maybe you can assess this uh, sometime this season if, if guys start playing and, and you get an idea of what they can offer you. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of, you know, I don't really mind it. I just, you wake up on Monday morning and you have... 15 to 20 different sites blasting out their draft grades. Um, I, don't, I don't really mind it. I, I get both sides of it. Um, if I were to make an early, you know, prediction on a draft, um, I want my draft grade out right away just to see how my team did. I like seeing Mel Kuypers and all that. But, I mean, you, you do have to wait because, like you said, Kevin White didn't play last year, so you can't really grade him. If he comes out makes Pro Bowl somehow this year, I mean, what does that turn into, you know? Um, but I am going to put you guys on the spot right here. Give me your draft grade for the Bears this season, right away. From what you think, based on how they filled their needs and what they did, maybe with trades and whatnot, to fill those needs. I mean, I think the weekend grade overall, I'd give them a B. I think it's really hard, in my eyes, to earn anything more than a B. Because, because like I said, you still, I'm still waiting for the actual proof in the pudding, so to speak, the actual play on the field. I think Hoyer was a great draft weekend move. I really just think the Bears did a great job addressing the needs, and Hoyer was the one need that they actually did fill via free agency. So I give him a B for now. Yeah, I think I think B is a fair grade. Um, I was, you know, as I echoed earlier, I really like the idea of adding a lot of these guys that you feel as a franchise can contribute early. Uh, I think Cody Whitehair is going to just be a solid pick. I think he's going to be able to slide right in and start all 16 games for the Bears. Um, I like Leonard Floyd as a player and I think he's going to, uh, you know, I think he's got the ceiling of a pro bowl, uh, pass rusher. The one thing I didn't like is I really didn't feel like he was going to not be there at 11. So giving up that fourth rounder to move up two spots to get him, you know, potentially wasting an asset. Uh, but you know, fish did mention earlier, the Bears still did have nine selections, even with making some trades. Um, you know, Floyd, I think, is going to be the key. If he can be a pro bowler, uh, that grade's obviously going to be higher. 
you know, but personally, I mean, I feel like Jonathan Bullard could be every bit of the pass rusher uh, that Floyd could be, if if not more. Um, you know, there's a lot of diversity with those two guys with what they're able to do. And, um, you know, that's the big thing, big thing with the Bears is they've, they've got to address that issue with the pass rush. I think those two guys do do a solid job with that. And, uh, you know, again, with the depth they added, down the line, Jordan Howard, I think, in the fifth round is going to be nice. We know that John Fox likes the uh, running back by committee approach. And I think with him, Kadeem Carey and uh, Langford, I mean, you've got a lot of options out of the backfield. And all three of those guys can catch the ball. And I think that's going to be critical for the Bears this year, uh, not knowing what kind of rushing attack you're going to get from relatively, you know, three unknowns. Yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you guys. I, I'm going to have to give them a B-. minus. It's, it's really hard to earn an A. I like the strategy that Pace took. Um, in a way, it kind of reminded me of what Bill Belichick does with the Patriots. You kind of just you know, acquire draft picks. Um, if there's a guy you don't want there, um, maybe trade down uh, like they did. They uh, Pace went best player available, which, you know, based on who you talk to, was either, is either good or bad. I think it worked out good for the Bears this, off se- or this draft. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to wait on last year's draft for Kevin White to see if he pans out or not. But right now I'm going to give them a B. I just like how they fulfilled their needs and, you know, kind of just overall a nice draft. Um, okay, so that's it for the Bears talk now. Let's uh, talk a little um, of the Chicago or first month of the baseball season, the Chicago Cubs and Chicago White Sox. Right off the bat, what's stood out the most for you, one from each team? I think really just the way the Cubs' depth has handled adversity this year. I mean, obviously losing Schwarber that first week hurt a lot. Both Soler and Caesar really stepped in. The Cubs haven't missed a beat. Obviously, Javier Baez has been getting a little bit more time with Bryant having an ankle sprain and Jason Hayward taking a couple days off with his wrist. I mean, again, I know this was a topic of discussion among Lots of fans this offseason, and I was always the one that said, wait for injuries to happen. And unfortunately, they have happened, but luckily for the Cubs, the depth has really come through and really held strong so far in this early going, and the run differential really just speaks volumes. Yeah, it's it's just for me that I was expecting, you know, I, I predicted 98 wins during our uh, preview podcast back in, you know, the beginning of April, and I still expecting this team to start eighteen and six and already open up a four game lead in the Central. I think is just is insane. Um, the real key to me, maybe not even one particular guy, just you know the the Cubs being second in runs um, and second in on base percentage. That, that's critical for a team like this. You know, last year struck out a lot, um, but they're getting on base. They're moving the guys over. And, and it's just it's been so refreshing to see um, just the level of excitement at Wrigley. I mean, I'm going to Wrigley on Saturday with my dad uh, for the national series. And, and just last year, the games I went to were awesome at Wrigley. But this year, I mean, we're on we're on a completely different uh, a new level. Uh, also, too, I mean, like like Zach had mentioned, the White Sox with what they're doing, best record in the AL. Um I mean, I know you two are a bit more optimistic uh, about their their season than I was and the outlook, but, uh, you know, all things considered, you know, with, with a, Jose Abreu struggling a little bit during the first month, um, 
you know, Adam Eaton's really picked it up, and uh, Melky Cabrera as well really played well. Brett Laurie, one of the new additions, has looked good. I mean, the the or excuse me, the White Sox are getting a lot of contributions across the board. Um, and I don't think there's a baseball fan that would that would you know feel like that it's not good for the sport for both teams in Chicago doing well. Um, you know, it's it's been great to watch. I mean, I've watched a couple Sox games and have really enjoyed myself. So uh, I think as of right now, it's if you're a fan of Chicago baseball, you have a lot to be optimistic and happy about. Yeah, I mean, right yeah, on, right, I mean, all right, hold on, fish. Hold on. The White Sox, the White Sox made a great move just today by getting designating for assignment John Danks and really just solidifying that rotation. I mean, just really amazing to think, you know, after the drama of Adam LaRoche that we spent an hour talking about on one show, that they could actually be competitive and actually lead the division even for a month is really impressive. And I know the ticket sales are a struggle there yet, yet, but they did sell 100,000 tickets over the past weekend. So hopefully, you know, if you're in the Chicago area or you're a Sox fan and want to visit, go out and buy tickets. Go out and support the team. They're doing well. The players are playing hard. Go on support them and enjoy a great game at U.S. Cellular Field. Yeah, uh, right off the bat, I I look at two things, one from each team. I look at Dexter Fowler and his on-base percentage. I mean, talk about a boost to this Cubs lineup. Since, you know, they brought him back this year, and that was great. One, probably, I think that's almost that's bigger than the offseason moves that they made with Hayward and Lackey. Um, I believe it was fourth or fifth best in Cubs history. Through the first month, uh, is on base. Uh, he trailed Rizzo last year, and uh, you guys want to take a guess who who leads that category in April? The best uh, on base percentage. Uh, probably Dexter Fowler. No, he's behind. I told you he's behind Rizzo. Hayward. No, no, no. All time, all time, all time Cub. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Giovanni Soto. Oh, yeah, Fish's boy. I believe he had a hot April. At, man, I want to say it was... Uh, 2008. Yeah. That rookie of the year season. Yeah, he had the best on-base percentage in the, month, in the month of April for any Cubs player. Um, so, yeah, back to Fowler. Um, I mean, the guy's just been incredible so far, both offensively and defensively. And he, he really gets his team going. As long as he can stay healthy, get on base, uh, this team's going to do big things. On the other side of town... I look at uh, Brett Lowry, that acquisition in the offseason. I mean, he has been great for the White Sox this season. Um, they haven't gotten a lot out of Abreu. Lately, starting to heat up. Frazier is now starting to heat up. Um, but they're getting a lot from Lowry. And, and to be atop the AL and only a couple of games behind the Cubs after the month of April is, is pretty incredible because, you know, as I said in the, we said in the prediction show, I thought they had a shot at the wild card. Now I'm starting to buy in a little more. They actually have a shot at winning this division, especially with the struggles the Royals, the Tigers, the Indians, and the Twins have had to start the season. All I know is I just i am so glad baseball season's here. And I'm so glad that Jake Arrieta once again went seven innings and didn't give up a run. Two hits, two walks, five strikeouts, and... I just I want the I want the steroid talk to continue because I want him to keep going out there and just mowing people down and just peeing in those cups. And I want him to splash pee in someone's face after he takes it. <laughs> I do. I want him to do that because he's he is the man. We are so fortunate as fans to have that guy on our team. I just I still every time 
every time he, he takes the mound, I mean, is it fair to say every time he goes out there, you don't think he's going to give up a run? It doesn't matter who he's going up against. The guy's not giving up a run. Oh, no, that's fair that's to say. That, that's, every that's, time. Really, I mean, that's, that's how I feel. Um, I, there's a, I get a weird feeling like when he pitches that, or I, I'd say I used to, I haven't had it recently, that something's just going to go terrible. I hate to be that guy. I I hope it doesn't. I just I just get that weird feeling. Like I don't know about you guys, but with all the expectations this season, I'm just you know, oh man, what if this injury does this? What if that injury does that? I I, I just want to avoid that all season. Just stay healthy. Nothing bad go on. I mean, you. I don't know. I feel like I if if anything's going to be the 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 crux for this team, it's it's going to be that middle relief. Uh, Trevor Cahill gave up a run again. Uh, and again, you know, you figure a guy that's a career, you know, realistically a career middle reliever, um, as far as ceiling is concerned, I think what he did for the, the Cubs last year was, was great, but expecting it to continue was kind of hard, but you know, that's, that's the real thing going forward. It's a long season. And and it is crazy to think that they were able to really escape the Kyle Schwarber incident unscathed, um, and it was the next man up mentality, as corny as that sounds. But I mean, what they've been able to do, just plugging along with with Lestella and Caesar went on the DL, and uh, you know our boy Ryan Kalish is, is has made his triumphant return to Wrigley. Um, but it's just you know as hot as the start is, and as optimistic as we all want to be, still I think. When we get to the end of this month and we see where we're at, you know, if we're still, if we're still increasing that lead over over the division over Pittsburgh. Um, I mean, that that's really to me going to be the time where you go, okay, we're we're really in this for the long haul. This is going to be a this is going to be a special season. Um, you know, it, it's the wait and see approach. I still think we're about thirty days away from really, really having an idea uh, of how how awesome this team could be. But, I mean, I will say this, uh, you know, in, in continuation with that thought, isn't it great to see the Pirates at 13 and 13, or excuse me, not the Pirates, but the Cardinals, you know, at 500, um, 26 games into the season? It's a great feeling. It's a, it's a very good feeling. Just waking up and seeing that and their fan base, and it's just awesome. And, you know, I mean, the Pirates have been good this year, but they haven't, you know, really been that impressive. I think they'll be there in the end, but... I mean, you're talking the two top two teams in the NL. You're talking about uh, the Washington Nationals and the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, yeah, and the Mets. Don't forget the Mets and, and their the Mets. pitching. Yes, and the Mets. In, uh, in, in October, I mean, if the Cubs could get them in a five games in the NLDS, they might have a chance when you have when you can have Arietta and Lester go two times a piece. But then you know. Then once you get them in seven, I think it just gets to be harder, as you have to look at either Hendricks or Hamill down the line, as as we saw last year. Unless they go out and get that uh, other fourth or fifth starter, maybe Tim Lincecum. Oh, no, he's a reliever. <laughs> guy, the guy, his arm fell off at twenty seven. Well, Actually, is that really his arm? It's those hip and back issues he's got that's really sapped his ability to, uh, I don't know. Apparently, he's going to be pitching for like 20 teams tomorrow, and he's hitting, you know, the low 90s. And But, I mean, unless that guy's willing to just be a, a spot starter or a long reliever, I mean, I don't you, – your expectations with him would have to be so low. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, to me, he's not, he's not worth the risk. He's not. 
So I'll tell you guys the news that broke today about Jason Hayward. Uh, it bothers me a little bit. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but he's had the injury since, what, the Arizona series, beginning of the year? Yeah. And that's just kind of, you know, worrisome that he didn't tell anyone because if he did get something happened, you know, hairline fracture or something, and you lose him, then what? Then what happens, you know? Yeah, that that to me would be a much bigger a much bigger concern um, than Schwarber. And I know a lot of people might think that's not a very popular opinion, but with what Hayward gives you defensively, uh, I mean, there's no one on this roster that that can duplicate it. Um, his ability to get on base, I know he's you know he's off to a somewhat slow start with his bat, only hitting two eleven. Uh, he is still getting on base though, and swiping bags when he is on base, and I think that's important. Um, but yeah, that's that's one guy you just absolutely cannot afford his his ability to play center and right and and be elite defensively from both and what he gives you towards the top of that order. I mean, duplicating that would be very very difficult. Yeah, I mean, and I think Hayward would be the second guy you wouldn't want to lose after Rizzo, obviously. But, you know, I mean, if it gives Javier Baez everyday playing time, I really wouldn't have much of a problem with it, you know. Certainly you could move Brian out to right field and stick Javier Baez at second base or third base. I mean, like I says, losing Hayward for a long period of time wouldn't be ideal, but I think Baez, Baez getting more time wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing either. Fish is making it sound like he wants a Lewis Hayward or something. <laughs> Trading back to the Cardinals for for that uh, Jeremy Hazelbaker, right? Oh, I had yeah. I the had Hayes, a baby Ball State's God, I had a Cardinals. I had a Cardinals troll. I tweeted something out that said like, I don't know, I'm not worried about Jason Hayward. Blah blah. blah. And he goes something he can't hit and i said it's only april and he said yeah then it'll be june then it'll be july then it'll be august and just god god on my mentions baseball's best fans best twitter follow on the internet uh let, right, let's wrap up this baseball talk with the south side really quick um so tell me what have you guys liked from the white Sox so far and what do they have to you know continue to do to yeah, I mean, stay ahead in the a in the AL. Is it is it too much to think that they could stay ahead in the AL for most of the season? Well, we'll see how it plays out with injuries and. But I, like I said, I certainly thought at the beginning of the year they were going to at least be a wild card contender to the end, and with this hot start, I think they're certainly set up at least for that. Yeah, I mean, with when you look at what what the Tigers kind of lost. And the fact that Melky Cabrera and Victor Martinez were both, you know, in the, definitely trending downward. I mean, even though Cabrera is still just a tremendous hitter, um, you know, they added J- uh, Justin Upton. But you don't know what you're going to get out of that rotation. Um, I still think losing Max Scherzer was just huge for that team last year. And, I mean, the Royals. The Royals lost Zobris. The Royals lost Johnny Cueto. That Those are two huge contributors to your playoff push um you know so i think if the white Sox can keep getting on base you know obviously you you anticipate jose abreu is going to come around and come around quick and and be his his normal extremely productive self Uh, i mean the big thing for them is going to be you know the starting pitching obviously what what they've gotten so far from quintana sale and matt latos has been awesome um you know if carlos rodon can can kick it into gear and they've got four extremely competent starters 
uh, that's going to be hard for any team to deal with. So, you know, if they are able to keep keep that going, um, yeah, I mean, they certainly could exceed my expectations of them, like, you know, in the low to mid-70s as far as wins is concerned, and, uh, you know, make it interesting for that wild card or even the, the central title uh, for the whole season. Yeah, I've watched a few games this year, actually, caught, you know, a few White Sox games, and I it, it, they've come from behind a couple times, which has really impressed me because I didn't, you know, think last year when they were down, I mean, they were down and out. There was no coming from behind. It was kind of like the team just died right when they fell behind. This year, however, I mean, they already have, I think, four or five, four comeback coming behind wins. And what's really sold me is the game fr- uh, Saturday night against the um, – Baltimore Orioles, when they fell down, when they fell behind, came back, scored a run in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. Abreu had the clutch hit and won the game. Um, I mean, I, I've liked what I've seen from them so far. I think they can keep it up. Uh, I think they're going to need the pitching to keep going. Chris Sale is an absolute workhorse, 6-0. and um, I mean, God, if you know, he's, early, he's one of the early front runners for AL Cy Young along with uh, Jordan Zimmerman. The guys has been unbelievable. If they can get a little more out of uh, Rodon and Quintana can get some, get a little more. I think you know they'll be good. They've gotten a lot of Latos, a lot more than I expected, and uh, yeah, I, I think they'll they'll be in there at the end. Yeah, ultimately though, I think they still need another bat, and I just don't know if they've got the assets to land another bat. Um, but you know, again, stranger things have happened. I mean, teams could fall out and they could want to dump salary. Um, and and just look to look to get rid of guys and, and acquire just some cheaper assets. I mean, I know that's the thing. The Braves have openly told teams, we are willing to take on bad money if you're willing to give us draft picks, since you know you can trade draft picks now, um, or certain picks, uh, and and take on you know prospects. I, I mean, I look at that as that's a team that you know the Braves surely aren't contending this season and I don't think they'll contend next year but with what they're doing with stockpiling assets I mean they, they're providing the blueprint and a team like the White Sox who maybe doesn't have the the premium assets to go out and get a, a a big guy you know if there's anyone that the Braves are willing to get rid of on the cheap they may be able to add you know again that they're just an example I'm not saying they're going to have someone that would truly help uh, the White Sox but if the White Sox are able to add add a you know a premium or an impact bat that that's going to help them go a long way um, putting him in that lineup. All right, let's wrap up the show. Um, we have a new segment for you. It's called uh, Joey's jo- Joey's Dope Dude of the Week, um, and it's not Tad, so Joey cannot pick Tad, otherwise he would every single week. Uh, Joey, who is your Dope Dude of the Week? My Dope Dude of the Week is Cubs pitching prospect Dylan Cease. Uh, I've just been reading a lot of positives on him. Uh, kind of forgotten, uh, you know, lost in, in the sea of awesome Cubs prospects. Uh, reading some good some good stuff about his most recent starts. Guys hitting 99 on the radar with a plus curveball. Uh, Dylan Cease is only 20. Um, a lot of people know Dwayne Underwood probably is the, or maybe Pierce Johnson is the best Cubs prospect. But this is a guy the Cubs drafted, um, had Tommy John surgery, and has really grown and worked to uh, solidify his upper body and add a lot of strength. Um, you know, coming out of high school, he was really stringy and wiry. Um, but man, everything I've read and all the stuff I've watched, this guy's starting to put some stuff together. And you know, if you're putting a guy in your in your rotation or somewhere in your bullpen that's almost touching a hundred, 
uh, that's going to help you go a long way. So, um, you know, I know everyone knows Glaber Torres and Ian Happ and Albert Almora, all those guys, you know, in the Cubs, uh, in the Cubs farm system, but you keep your eye on Dylan Cease. I think, uh, later this year, he, he's going to make a lot of noise and probably climb towards the top of the Cubs prospect ranking. And, uh, that was Joey's dope dude of the week. Um, thank you for another great, great show. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow Shy City Sports on Twitter at Shy City Sports Two Three. Uh, give us a like on Facebook. Um, give us a review on iTunes. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Check out the message board. Uh, until next time, take it easy.